This podcast is for general educational and entertainment purposes only and should not be considered medical, practice management, legal, investment, or other professional advice. No one should act or refrain from acting based on this podcast without obtaining appropriate professional advice. Medical information is completely open and certainly should be completely open because that's the best way that we figure out how to take care of patients is sharing what we've experienced, sharing what we've learned. The ability to apply podcasts now to that ability for people to learn is so much more important even than it was a year ago because all of those face-to-face opportunities, those national meetings where people can cross paths and share knowledge, those face-to-face meetings were all put on hold. I'm Andrew Souza, and this is Gastro Broadcast, presented by Gastrologics, your GI-specific group purchasing and business development partner. Gastro Broadcast features independent GI physicians and administrative leaders having conversations with their colleagues about issues that impact gastroenterology. But before we switch to that format, I have the honor of interviewing each of our hosts to learn more about their practices, the communities they serve, and what inspires them about independent medicine. Today, we're talking with Dr. Michael Weinstein, who needs no introduction for many of our listeners. He is president and CEO of Capital Digestive Care and chief medical officer of PE Practice Solutions. He is the immediate past president of the Digestive Health Physicians Association and serves on the AGA Institute Governing Board. So let's get started. Dr. Weinstein, welcome to Gastro Broadcast. Thank you, Andy. Dr. Weinstein, tell me about your practice in the community that you serve. So Capital Digestive Care is an independent gastroenterology practice based around the Washington, D.C. markets and suburban Maryland. Uh, started about, uh, I guess we're 11 years old now, almost 12 years old, um, as a merger of seven smaller practices uh, ranging in size from 2 to 15, um, forming a group of 50 gastroenterologists. And at the time, it was important to get to be large because the hospital systems were getting large. The insurance companies were getting large, and it was my feeling and the feeling of a few other leadership physicians that if we were going to maintain our relevance in the community, that we needed to be large as well. And that there are lots of purposes to be large, but uh, clearly it was to be able to be at the negotiating table with the hospital systems and the insurance companies uh, as a relevant partner in the community uh, providing health care. Why did you become a gastroenterologist? My goodness, that's like, uh, that's a tough question. You know, for me, it's an, I have an interesting background. I, I was very much a math and science kid uh, in high school. I went to Northwestern undergrad uh, for an engineering degree. I'm actually a chemi focusing in biomedical. And while in engineering uh, back in the 70s, uh, you know, the engineering aspects at that time were not as collaborative because there were no PCs. There were no small computers. Uh, When I started college, I had a slide rule. Um, And most engineering jobs were more isolated. You know, you were more or less working on yourself, crunching numbers, uh, writing code for uh, mainframe computers, um, uh, working in a laboratory. It was not a particularly uh, community type uh, setting. Uh, you were you were very isolated. Uh, I had had some exposure to medicine in undergrad, 
working on some uh, tools, working on contact lens development and uh, artificial limbs, um, and decided that uh, going to medical school was uh, something that would might broaden my opportunities to be in a in a career that was. Uh, more broad and crossing paths with many more people than I would in an engineering job. So I went off to medical school. After medical school, um, you have to do an internship and residency. I had uh, gone to medical school in Chicago as well and was pretty much done with the cold weather and came to Washington, D.C. to do my internship and residency at George Washington, where I came across uh, paths with uh, the gastroenterology division and a couple of really wonderful people uh, that really served as mentors. You know, you want to, you want to be like them. You wanted, I wanted to be like them. And that meant a gastroenterology. Uh, that was uh, High Zimmerman, who was a hepatologist and Jim Lewis, uh, who was also a GW and a few other people. So I got interested in gastroenterology. As, a, as an engineer back uh, at that time, there was a huge development in the technology in gastroenterology. All the scope technology was being developed, all the tools, all the apparatus. So for me, it was a way to sort of use that engineering background and use it in my medical career in gastroenterology, um, looking at all the equipment development. So that's how I got into gastroenterology. Um, it was. And then, so, you know, there are many paths that doctors can take. Why, why did you go into private practice versus, you know, working in a hospital or, or the academic route? Yeah, again, it's all, you know, for me, it was all timing. When I finished my, as I was finishing my GI fellowship, um, thinking about what options I had, I knew that there was a very, uh, well-known small GI group in Washington, D.C. that was looking for a partner, uh, looking for an associate. Um, and they were the busiest group in the city. Um, so I met with them, um, and they obviously turned out to be my greatest mentors uh, over my early career. Um, that was Donald O'Keefe and Nelson Trujillo. Um, they... Um, they sort of took me under their wings. I was the young guy. They were both about 20 years older than I was and um, uh, kind of knew everybody in GI and everybody in Washington, D.C., uh, given their experiences. Um, so it was all timing. I ended up in independent practice because there was a job. There was an opportunity. There was a way to stay in Washington, which at that point I definitely wanted to do. And why not join the busiest group in the city? That makes sense to me. Um, have you had an opportunity to, you know, you talked a little about a bit about using your uh, engineering degree. Have you had an opportunity to, to use that in your, your practice over the years? Yeah, I think absolutely. And I think it's, it's more the scientific method uh, of engineering. So it was a combination of, of that background, that scientific method background, the opportunities that were afforded to me because of two very busy partners who were able to get me involved in a medical society. Um, I was uh, on the board of the Medical Society of the District of Columbia. I, as a young physician, was serving on committees at ASGE and 
meeting other leaders and other medical group, other GI groups across the country because of the connections to the my two older partners. And I, th- I think uh, it's kind of tilted me towards the management side of the practice um, and the ability to apply business operations to medicine. You know, medicine historically was a mom and pop. You know, uh, I grew up watching Dr. Welby, Marcus Welby, and watching shows where medical practices were very, you know, very much mom and pop. You know, the doctor, the office, the nurse, a patient, not much else. Um, And the ability to apply technology, business technology, as well as medical technology to the medical practice um, certainly was of interest to me. Um, it, it was something uh, additional. Obviously, I love taking care of patients. I had, you know, the greatest time, um, particularly as I got older, it, it's been great taking care of younger patients. Uh, but the ability to bring to a medical practice, the technology and the business management, operations management, um, that's been that's been sort of a focus for the last 10 or 15 years. Okay, let's get into talking about podcasts. You know, I've told, uh, I've, I've talked with the other hosts, the four physicians that we have uh, hosting the podcast um, were really folks that were excited about podcasts and who listen to podcasts and when I um, would discuss the the idea of having a podcast about independent GI, really wanted to do it. Uh, and you were certainly uh, one of those physicians. I remember from even talking about this a few years ago, um, you were excited about it. So I want to, um, you know, just ask what makes you want to host a podcast? Like what's interesting to you about the format? Andy is so true. I am very much interested because it's a way to apply new technology to an ages old issue of people sharing ideas and sharing knowledge. And as I said before, I was very lucky as a young physician to be able to participate on committees, you know, face to face with other physicians, other independent physicians at, at national societies. And what I learned uh, in those settings, you know, talking with other people, because I think as physicians, we're very sharing with our knowledge. You know, we don't really believe we have any proprietary information. Medical information is completely open and certainly should be completely open because that's the best way that we figure out how to take care of patients is sharing what we've experienced, sharing what we've learned. And I think that's clearly was for me very true in how I came up in management and leadership in in my group and management and leadership even in national national settings. It was being able to talk with people. But all of those settings were face to face. They weren't phone calls. Phone calls, you know, it's a, you can only get two people on a on a phone call listening to what's said on a phone call. Um, and podcasts allow other people to listen to two people talking about something that is related to what they do, whether it's taking care of patients or um, some business aspect um, and sharing that knowledge and sharing that 
trip through how you got to where you got to. Um, and I think um, the ability to apply podcasts now to that ability for people to learn is so much more important even than it was a year ago because all of all of those face-to-face opportunities, those national meetings where people can cross paths and share knowledge, those face-to-face meetings were all put on hold. You know, with COVID, no face-to-face meetings. So podcasts have been a way, I think, to allow people to continue a little bit of that word-of-mouth education. Um, so very excited about the opportunity to talk to people uh, across the country just to understand how they got to where they got to. What are your favorite podcasts? What are you listening to? I listen to Becker's. Um, I think Scott Becker does a great job and and he has, he probably does 10 or 15 podcasts a week, uh, healthcare podcasts, this private equity podcast. Um, so that's a popular one. I, I, I'm also living in Washington DC and having been very involved in advocacy Advocacy for Independent Physicians with the Digestive Health Physician Association. So I listen to a couple of political podcasts. Um, I listen to Brooks and Shields. I listen to Healthcare on the Hill to find out what bills are, what hearings are coming up in the next week or two that might affect um, affect my business, my my medical practice. Uh, those are the those are the top top ones. I listen to a couple for. F- for fun, but uh, those are the main ones. We'll be sure to uh, you know link those under your your profile on the website so that you know people who are interested in those same topics can can find them. Oh, who are you excited to to interview, and what topics do you think that you'd like to uh, address in future episodes? Well, obviously, as the president and CEO of one big medical practice, I think talking to uh, physician leaders at other medical practices in other regions will be very interesting. I always say, uh, people hear me, uh, healthcare is all, you know, is local. Uh, Healthcare is local. How your practice develops and your relationships are uh, with your local commercial carriers, your local hospital systems, um, the way medicine is in Washington, D.C. is completely different than the way medicine is in New York City. The completely different than the way medicine is in the Midwest. And I think there are opportunities to understand why medical practices are run in one fashion in this location. Why are they different in that location? So uh, in that medicine is all local, I think there are still things to learn on, you know, how medicine is practiced in other regions of the country. Okay. And last uh, question that I've asked uh, all of all of our hosts. Uh, looking back over your career, when you were you know just out of med school, uh, what what advice would you give to you know twenty five or thirty year old Doctor Weinstein? I think I think Andy. I think the advice that I talk to a lot of fellows now as to what they should do in looking for a career. I think the most important thing is to pick something you're passionate about. If your goal is to take care of patients and do most of that clinical patient care, well, then independent practice is probably going to fit your lifestyle a little bit better than laboratory. You know, if you're interested in research and publishing and 
pushing the bounds of medical care than, than an academic location is probably going to be better. And depending upon your personal relationships, I think the other thing I tell people is, you know, you probably should look to the location where you want to live early in the beginning because moving is difficult. If you're in a location to start a career and you think you're going to move, that probably isn't going to happen. Within a couple of years, the roots get deeper into the ground and it's hard to rip it out and move to a different city. Um, so I think location is important as well. Thank you for listening to the Gastro Broadcast. Find new episodes through Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast fix. For information about our hosts, guests, and supporters, visit www.gastrobroadcast.com. Produced by Steadfast Collaborative.